Welcome to the About Sex Podcast. I'm your host, Angela Skirtu, and you can find me at www.aboutsexpodcast.com. And with me today is Nicholas. Make sure I say it correctly, Nicholas. I there. I there. So, um, Nicholas, tell everybody what you do. Uh, so I am one of very few uh, board-certified behavior analysts who specializes in sexual behavior. Uh, excuse me. <clears throat> I... I have my license in behavior analysis. Um, I've also completed all ASEC requirements for uh, sex therapist uh, certified. And I'm completing right now a second master's in LGBTQIA marriage and family therapy. Uh, I run Empowered, a center for sexuality here in St. Louis. We offer a variety of sexuality-based services, um, everything from sexual behavior analysis, sex therapy, sex education, support groups, um, social skills groups, all sorts of, uh, all sorts of different things. I get my, my toes wet in. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's what a lot of sex therapists in generally do. And just for people to be aware, if you're just joining in, I also am a therapist. Um, I'm an, I'm also a sex therapist and a licensed marriage therapist. And my website is www.therapistinstlouis.com. Now today, uh, why I called you in, Nicholas, is that we're kind of in a crisis, <laughs> or we'll call it a pandemic, if you will. And uh, we're going to be talking about a lot of different things today. But the first thing I kind of just wanted to discuss with you is the COVID-19 pandemic and all of the changes that have occurred essentially in our country, in our local city of St. Louis and St. Louis County. And so I'm I'm curious, you know, so for those people who are just listening in, uh, we are in a lockdown. We've been given a mandatory stay-at-home law right now where people, only people who have certain jobs, required jobs, or considered mandatory jobs right now are allowed to go out and do things. Now, I believe, Nicholas, you and I, we actually fit in that category because we are mental health workers and healthcare providers. Um, Well, that's that's a tricky and sticky situation, right? Right, right. Um, it comes down to whether or not we can deliver the service adequately without having face-to-face contact. Um, so, especially in like the field of applied behavior analysis, uh, dependent on uh, what the practitioner is particularly doing in the population that they're working with, uh, some services really do have to be delivered in person. Uh, luckily for myself, because I tend to focus very positively on helping people uh, with relationships and with sexual related uh, concerns, uh, I'm able to do telehealth very easily um, mm. because it's not like I have to be there physically prompting anybody or anything yeah. like that. <laughs> Touch uh, here right now. <laughs> so, so I am uh, I am able to do that effectively. I think that that's a challenge that a lot of other uh, behavior analysts who do maybe work with like physical aggression um, are facing. But in terms of on the sex side. Um, relatively easy. Uh, Certainly for sex therapy, I think that telehealth is working out pretty well. Yeah, I'm definitely seeing that in my practice. We've had to pretty much convert over to Zoom or Skype so that people can still come in and seek services. Uh, But we're trying to do as much online as possible. And on my side, I also work with just mental health and couples in general. And so it's interesting. I'm wondering what you're seeing uh, in terms of like the stress level of people as uh, as all of these changes are occurring in your practice and with the people you work with? You know, um, I would say that the stress level uh, depends very much on uh, the amount of cognizance and awareness of the overall situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think certainly for some of my clients who are heavily impacted by um, a disability or autism, Um, And I do like to separate the two. Um, But uh, I think for some of those clients, this is just a complete huge upset to routine. Um, And also being stuck at home with, uh, with their families for extended periods of time, when they're used to going to maybe like a day program and interacting with people. Um, But Certainly for uh, my clients who have uh, a higher level of social awareness, um, I think that the, the panic is, is 
setting in more in terms of, of what's going on globally. Um, but I would say either way, one thing that I'm seeing kind of across the board is that self-isolation is increasing overall isolation for a lot of my clients. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm hearing from parents, um, I'm hearing uh, in some of the, I'm, I'm in certain like Facebook groups and stuff where parents seek out support and things like that. And I'm seeing a lot of, uh, especially like teenagers, young adults on the spectrum, um, not using things like FaceTime to connect with people, um, mm-hmm. not using social media to connect, but instead just using this as like uh, a time for further isolation. I think part of that is is that is their way of coping with this. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, uh, the question is, um, does that bring about any sort of regression in the social skills? Um is that good or is that potentially damaging for their mental health overall? Well, and if we add this to, so I don't necessarily work in the autistic or the disabilities population, but I do work with quite a few people who are experiencing very similar things, which is feel this feeling of isolation, this complete change in routines. And a lot of people are really scared about that because I think I don't think people realize how much they rely on their routines until you essentially have it taken away in a flash. (laughs) And it's like, oh, I used to go into work. I used to have my kid or um, my partner. We didn't spend time together during the day, for example. (laughs) And so one of the things that I've been really pushing with a lot of my own clients is how can you find a new routine in this sort of new normal Mm -hmm. um, so that you start to feel like like okay again. And it's hard though, because people are doing homeschool. So in, in my group of clients um, and in myself too, actually, my my own daughter is home. I've got a five-year-old and I personally just wasn't used to her being around that much. <laughs> I really wasn't. <laughs> and um, yeah. And, and so now I've like, okay, well, this could be for a really long time. How are we going to find a way to Make sure she's still getting some kind of education. Make sure she's still getting some sort of socialization, just like you know you're talking about with your clients. Um, make sure she's still getting physical activity, getting outside, but still social distancing. And how do I stay sane through this all? <laughs> right. Yeah. There's there's definitely a lot of components to this. Uh, I think. I saw something on Facebook the other day that just had me cracking up. Um, there's been a lot of talk about a potential second baby boom. Uh, oh, yeah, the coronials. Got, <laughs> yeah, right, the coronials. Uh, so somebody posted on Facebook the other day, and I thought, wow, this person is being so real. They, <laughs> they yeah. said, uh, the only people who believe that there's going to be a second baby boom are people who don't have kids already. <laughs> It's like your kids are with you. It's like, I don't want to have another one of these. (laughs) Absolutely. Right. Um, So I definitely see that as a, as a potential issue. Um, One thing that, uh, that I'm just kind of thinking about is like, man, back when I was a teenager and you know, I, I wanted so badly to be away from my family. I love my family, but my as a teenager, I think that's a very natural and normal drive to have. Yeah. Um, and I wanted so badly to just get out of the house and to be with friends. Um, I wanted to go out and interact with other people and to, you know, in my youth, feel sexy and <laughs> maybe have sex. And that's something that right now... Teenagers don't really have um, access to, uh, young adults don't have access to for the first time in a really long time if they already had that access. Yeah, exactly. I've I've been paying attention a little bit to the dating, you know, the dating world, and a lot of people have been basically saying, you know, can can you date with the coronavirus? Can can I like I've been talking to this girl online and texting her, and right now I don't know if I can even I can even see her ever. <laughs> Which is a little over exaggeration, but you know, I mean, like that's where people are at. They're like, should we send videos? Should we meet but stand six feet away from each other? (laughs) Right. Yeah. Well, and you know, it's it's funny because I think that this is going to show society, and I think this is going to be really, really interesting 
for behavior analysts that um, that work on on issues of social compliance. And I, I hate the idea of forced compliance. We do not use that at Empowered. But I think that that's kind of that's where insurance companies want uh, uh, behavior analytic practice is they have this kind of model of this is how someone's supposed to behave when they're in public. Uh, <laughs> and it's interesting because in in those models, the social and uh, and human connection skills are really um they're kind of outdated. You can tell that these models were created by people, um, you know, who are, are postdoctorate, probably also in their forties, maybe fifties, maybe sixties now. Um, and they're, they're telling kids and teenagers how to act in a digital age that these other people did not grow up in. And, uh, and it's interesting because I'm, I'm kind of in between right now. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm 33. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I'm seeing both sides of the coin on that (laughs) where it's like, maybe this is an opportunity for us to really explore um, how we can connect without having to be physically close to each other. Um, And for people who do prefer to stay at home, uh, this is a really good time for us to find out what, what can be achieved while you're staying at home? You know, how can you connect? Um, so I think it's really awesome that like you're doing this podcast and that, and that we're addressing these issues because I think this is where the big questions are going to be. And I think that as we move forward, this idea of, you know, you have to, you have to be able to have a hangout. Um, so from, from the peers, social skills, uh, curriculum and peers for adults, which also addresses romance and, and dating, uh, and I'm a trained Pierce instructor certified and in it, you know, it talks about, you have to, you have to follow these steps for having a hangout and in it, they call it a get together right off the bat. That's one of the things they call it. And I'm like, nobody calls it a get together anymore. I don't know. That I don't like know. It's a get together. I could do that. <laughs> but, but I don't hear teenagers saying, Hey, let's have a get together. Right. They're like, you want to hang out? Uh, <laughs> let's go get a malt at the shop. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think that, that there's, you know, if we look at it right now, how do you have a get together? It does not involve uh, 19 steps of, of involving, uh, having people come over and making sure that your house is clean first and, <laughs> and all of these other things that, uh, that we're supposed to be teaching if we want to be able to bill insurance. You know, I got to say I'm, something funny about that for these online for sure. sessions, Nicholas, and that is that most people are showing me just how dirty their homes are. <laughs> no judgments. <laughs> and also nobody's like, I'm not even wearing like, clothes all the time. You know, like I'll wear jeans, but I'm not dressing up. I'm like, you know, like I just, I just stay in everybody else's too. They're like, yeah, we're just coming in PJs to our sessions. I'm like, whatever, you know, like you guys do what feels right. Oh yeah. You know, it's the, it's the, the dress shirt top and underwear bottom. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I at least, (laughs) I at least try to put shorts on, but you know, I don't have to. (laughs) We're not going to talk about what I'm wearing. Uh, I know, right? You're just in your robe. but I, I really do think that this is a this is an eye opener because um, for so many of us, we have this idea of what being social means, um, of what human connection means, of what uh, sociosexual behaviors and romance building should look like, and right now we're faced with a time where technology is the avenue for that. Mm -hmm. And it fits very well with what the younger generation has already been doing. I think it's just kind of forcing the older generation. (laughs) Like now you have to to do what we did. (laughs) (laughs) But I will say I've seen the younger generation shift a little and actually calling people or FaceTiming instead of just texting. And I've actually been encouraging that with my clients too, because you know, in that younger generation, I feel like there was always a little bit of a social anxiety to talk on the phone, but now because people aren't seeing each other, people are actually calling one another. So I think that's one shift that's kind of somewhere in the middle because me growing up, I did talk on the phone. Texting wasn't really a thing until after I was in college. And I even fought the cell phone revolution for a time because I was, a, you know, I was a revolutionary. 
<laughs> I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> so what do you, my question, first, I just want to do two comments about like what people need in terms of social connection, but then a question for you about it. Um, one thing that people need is social connection, deep connections with people, like feeling like there are people who have your back that are in your world, friends, family, close, they could be uh, families of choice, but basically you need deep lasting connections with people that feel like these are the people who've got your back. But there's actually a second form of social connection that people need. And this is just for basic like happiness. And it's to have familiar faces, familiar faces day to day. So they're not necessarily close relationships. I would consider these tertiary relationships, but like your mailman, your grocer, people who just walk around the street and you see and say hello as you pass by. We need this access to both kinds of social connection to feel kind of close. So my question to you is how do we convert that somehow to online so that people are still getting that social connection they need? Oh, wow. You threw a doozy at me. I sure did. I love it when I do that. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how you feel about it. (laughs) So I feel like the answer that I want to go to is also a double-edged sword. I don't feel like that there's a super easy, good answer here. Um, You know, we can get that to some degree by going through our... um, our Facebook feeds, because I think a lot of people, uh, if you're anything like me, you probably have a lot of friends on Facebook who you really do connect with. And then also a lot of friends on Facebook that are just kind of uh, connected to you because you have a couple of friends in common or, or you have some sort of common interest that made them worth following. Um, and so by going through that Facebook feed, you can get connected to a whole lot of people. You can feel that sense of community. Um, but at the same time, I think right now there is uh, a lot of misinformation being spread on Facebook. Um, yes. I think that there's a lot of, of a sort of downward spiraling that I'm seeing. Um, oh, yeah. And it's very easy to get dragged into that. Um, so I think that there's, like I said, it's a double-edged sword where it's like, that's where you can go to see everybody, so to speak. Um, but at the same time, it's like, oof, uh, is that, (laughs) is this good for my mental health or is it bad for my mental health? I don't know. So one thing that I've started doing is I've been putting people that I've recognized are kind of bringing me down mm-hmm. on a 30-day hold. You know, we're under a 30-day lockdown, so, and you have that 30-day hold option for following. Uh-huh. So you're still friends with them, but if they're bringing you down, <laughs> you could put them on a 30-day hold. They don't know. Um, all they know is that you're still their friend and that you're still technically their follower, um, but you don't have to see that sort of negativity in your life. Yeah, I'm definitely seeing that, um, you know, everybody is feeling what they're feeling. And so we need to give people a space to feel their feelings, get scared and overwhelmed. And like one thing I'm just trying to normalize for my close friends and family is, you know, I mean, I'm not perfect going through this either. I, I think I had a few meltdowns on Monday, specifically when one came when I was at the playground with my daughter. Um, and first of all, there were nobody, there was nobody there cause we're all socially isolating. So no one was at the playground and she was like, where are the friends, mom? And I was, it just made me sad cause I have an only child, you know, she doesn't have a sibling that she can play with, which, you know, to be fair on your child care com- or your child comment earlier, maybe I will make another kid. I don't know. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> you know maybe this is going to change how I live. But so we make up fake friends at this playground. And that worked for a while. It's like, okay, cool. You know, she's playing hide and seek with, she made names with these kids, you know, that were in her class, which I felt really special about. But then these guys show up and they said, you're not going to like us. And I was like, why won't I like you? And they said, we have to close down the playgrounds. And, you know, because they're trying to prevent the spread, even in playgrounds, you know, uh, the COVID virus can stay on surfaces and infect people. And so, of course, you know, that was when I break and I'm like, now I have to make a makeup make believe playground too. (laughs) (laughs) And Olivia says, bye bye playground as we walk away. And I heard the guys kind of just get a little sad. You're like, oh, that's like really sad. But you know, it's funny when I was talking with my partner, he was saying, you know, Angela, I think you're taking this harder than she is. She's kind of already moved on to the next thing (laughs) because she was already just watching Sleeping Beauty and fine. But it's me. Like I take it on as a mom wanting to make a good situation for her. And I think what's hard about this situation is that there are some things we can control, but there's really some things we can't. And 
a lot of people like to feel in control in their lives. What are your thoughts about that? <laughs> oh, absolutely. And and to add to your your um, earlier comment that you know everybody kind of has those moments where where I I think it's very natural and it's normal to have those negative feelings. Of course. Um, even yesterday, uh, I myself uh, got pretty. <laughs> Got pretty riled up at at the playground. Uh, at the playground, <laughs> really? I was, yeah, I was walking my dog. Um, I live by a park, and I was walking my dog around the park and doing my part. You know, I'm like uh, walking across the street when somebody is like coming down the same sidewalk in the in the opposite direction. But I look over at the playground and I count twelve kids on the equipment and eight parents sitting around. So it's twenty people. Um, on the playground. And I was just like, what's going on? Uh, and my natural reaction was to flip out my phone and get on Facebook because I, you know, I don't want to like call the police on these people. Yeah. I don't want to make their lives hard. Um, so my natural response was just to like vent to Facebook. And then <laughs> pretty sure I saw I got- that post. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we all um, were having those moments, and I'm not by any means saying that, that I'm perfect or that I don't. Uh, it's it's one of those things where we have to recognize uh, that we all are going to have a level of reactivity here, uh-huh. uh, and I think that we have to walk this this balance of self care. Uh-huh. Uh, and I think that self care is where sex really starts to come in. Uh, We have some really neat things happening sexually right now in society. And uh, certainly, you know, uh, for those of us who are adults and uh, and able to provide consent uh, or who just love our own bodies and want to play with ourselves, Mm -hmm. um, this is a very interesting time. Uh, we have a lot of time to play with our own bodies. If we're partnered, we have a lot of time to play together, but we also may have feelings that prevent that. Yeah. Uh, you know, feelings of, I don't normally have this much time with this other person. Holy crap. I didn't realize how much this tiny little thing actually drives me bonkers. <laughs> <laughs> and then at, at the same time, there's like on the other side of that fence is, is the camaraderie that you have with your partner because you're going through this together. Um, but if you're alone, I mean, you have a lot of time now and really, uh, a valid excuse, so to speak. To masturbate a lot of your saying. It's like you have a great excuse oh, to yes. masturbate the <laughs> shit out of yourself. <laughs> right. Uh, well, and and as we know, uh, uh, the release of endorphins, uh, particularly oxytocin that you get from touching another person or even touching yourself if you're really uh, into it and enjoying yourself, um, and that, that rush that you get when you're having an orgasm, these are good for your immune system. Yeah. So you can literally be like, you know, beating off and saying like, I'm doing what the doctor told me. <laughs> and that's that's good for you, you know? <laughs> I really appreciate that you're framing this in terms of self-care because I think that people are overwhelmed right now. And so like to, to your point earlier, I think you need to give yourselves permission to sometimes just not be there. I can even say personally, there was this moment where me and my partner were talking and talking and we were saying, you know, like we were just talking about the coronavirus. We were, we were just talking and talking and like it, sometimes when you're in that moment, you get into kind of an anxiety space and then your brain is just not quite in the mood to then have sex with each other. Although the funny thing is I remember literally like after he left, cause he was going to go take some alone time. And then I was like, Oh wow, I'm horny now. This could work. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I guess, you know, to help people kind of manage one thing that everybody does need is boundaries since we're all on top of each other in our homes. Like you still do need alone time. Um, if you have kids in your home, you still need to like find ways to get away from the kids, but also spend time as a family. And so one of the things we've been implementing in our home is I've told everyone, so I, I live with my partner and his, his daughter who's a teen and then me and my daughter who's five years old. And so um, what I told his teen and what, you know, we kind of as parents sat down with the kids and we were like, whenever you need alone time, let's talk about that. Let's make sure we each have a space in the home where we can get away and have privacy. Um, But then also we're trying to 
incorporate things to get active together, play together, keep up certain rituals. Actually, I'm not a very religious person, but one client that I work with told me that her family um, goes to church, but they're not going to church right now. So they created their own church service. And um, like, I thought that was a really cool self-care activity for somebody who is religious. If that's a ritual that you engage in, then finding ways, like in all this going back to that basic thing of like, what can you do to keep up certain routines? Well, one thing is coming up with rituals. A second thing is setting some boundaries so that you have time to take care of your needs and your family's needs. But then a third thing is making sure you're making time for self-care and sex is a part of that self-care. What are your thoughts? Yeah. Um, oh, you knew to ask me because I was I about know, to I, knew, I knew you were ready to say something. <laughs> uh, right. I can't hold it in once no, I'm No, you're going to uh, burst. <laughs> it's hard. Uh, well, and uh, there's so many puns right there. Um, anyway, so. <laughs> this is because you're wearing underwear right now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I'm actually in pants. Oh, today. thank you, Nicholas. Um, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but my underwear are cute. They've got Deadpool. Oh, on good them. for you. Um, <laughs> thank you. Um, so the uh, the need for ritual, though, I think I think really I want to go back to that for a moment because something that I think even pre-corona people have not done, and and something that I have been an advocate for. Uh, the reason that a lot of practitioners have started calling masturbation solo sex. I mean, aside from its Latin root origin being, you know, uh, masturbation meaning polluting with your hands, which is so sex naked. Oh, yes. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Solo sex implies you're having sex, right? Ah. It's not just... It's not just I'm going to the bathroom and standing over the toilet and rubbing one out so that I can come into the water and flush it. Yep, that angry Um, masturbation where you're like, oh, she's not doing it for me. (laughs) (laughs) So so like this is something that I think has been a societal issue even before this. And and right now you have as as people who are in home, who have no one else watching over them, who have potentially more free time. Um, Now, if you have children, this might look a little different. But for those of us who don't, um, this is a fantastic time to make a ritual, to make a self-care, love myself, I'm really going to have sex with myself kind of ritual. And, you know, light some candles, um, uh, light some incense if that's what you're into, um, fill that tub with some bubble bath, get in there, um, rub yourself down, do the things that feel good, and let yourself just be in the moment. Um, As somebody who is formally trained in sensate focus, that's something that I think right now, like sensate focus is, is important and sensate focus, that idea of, of making room for kind of everything that's in the headspace and focusing instead on just really three sensations, temperature, pressure, and texture, and curiously observing and exploring your own body. That right there. Uh, that is a coping mechanism, you know, and it's that's a reason that sensate focus is empirically validated for so many different uh, sexual dysfunctions, because at the heart of so many sexual dysfunctions is anxiety. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I look at what we're going through right now, and I'm like, you know, if we could make room for these feelings, because they're valid, we shouldn't be fighting these feelings, we shouldn't be, be feeling guilty about having these feelings. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we can do instead is we can accept that these feelings are part of this experience and we can take those times to make room for them, to still let them exist, but to focus elsewhere. You know, Nicholas, I want to, I'm going to jump in here now, but I bet you figured I was going to come soon too. (laughs) And there wasn't a pun there, by the way. (laughs) I I was about to say, if she doesn't call that one out. (laughs) I will. But (laughs) to your point, everybody's feelings right now are normal and valid. And I've been reading again and again in helpful articles, not like the ones where everybody's going like imploding or exploding, but like in the helpful articles, what they're basically saying is feel your feelings. If you're having anxiety, take some time to feel your anxiety. If you're sad, cry, take some time to cry. If you're feeling horny, take some time to take care of yourself, Uh, feel your feelings, but don't 
shame your feelings. And I think it's weird, but I think our society really does shame feelings. We, we feel like we believe, I shouldn't say feel because we don't like feelings, right? <laughs> our society is anti-feelings at times. Just get in there, just get your work done and figure it out. But like, this is an, it truly is an unprecedented time. President, uh, I can't say the word, whatever. <laughs> it's truly a, we get I know, you. it's truly a time where people, people don't know how to react. People don't know how to respond, but if they're given freedom to feel whatever they're feeling, and they're given the response from a partner or a friend or whoever is in front of them of, hey, it's okay for you to feel what you're feeling. It's okay. I could see why you'd be scared. I could see why you feel alone right now. We're here. I'm here for you or you just do what you need to do. Like giving ourselves, that's why we still need to give each other space and boundaries to be able to do that. Because like in my family, if we're not giving each other that alone time, there really is no space for people to self-care masturbate as you describe it, you know? Yes. Um, something that I think kind of furthers up on that too is, uh, you know, obviously Sensate Focus was uh, originally designed for couples, uh, not not just as a solo exercise. And uh, so looking at what can, can a couple do um, or, you know, uh, let's say that a triad or a group is holding up together too. I don't want to yeah. just put this down to dyads. Uh, we're going to be inclusive. <laughs> but, Anybody uh, in the LGBTQ community, right. of course. So, uh, so whatever your partnership dynamic is, uh, having those, those moments of, of um, sensate focus of, of having those curious explorations and, and essentially making sex into just a game of no expectations and, let's just see what comes, uh, uh, pun intended. No, yeah. Like, or cause you can or not because <laughs> I was going to say with sensate focus, you do not have a goal, yep. right? Your only goal is to focus on the temperature, pressure and texture and to experience. Right. Uh, so what I want to talk about though, is those moments between, okay. Uh, the before and the after. So, you know, before you go to be intimate with each other, you said earlier um, that partners may have fluctuations in when they feel intimate. Uh-huh. Um, so maybe, you know, I want something right now and uh, my partner is not feeling up for that. Uh, that's a time to maybe talk uh, with my partner about what they're going through. Mm-hmm. Uh, and after we've talked about it, then asking my partner, um, you know, would you want to let go of that for a bit and just be us? Let's just be us for a little bit. Uh, and, you know, then after, after you come back out of that experience and you're back into, uh, into this kind of reality that we're in, uh, maybe talking about, uh, about what it's like to come back, um, something that, I've learned in the school of mindfulness is looking at um, barriers and at anchors, you know, what pulled you away, um, but what's also keeping you in. And those are things that I think are really important to be discussing. I I agree. And Uh, I want to add something to that. So I actually put out a YouTube video recently that I called sexual gray zones. And um, so if you want to look at my YouTube, it's uh, look up Angela Skirtu because I have hundreds of videos and podcast episodes. But in this particular video, I was talking about those times that you're discussing, like these before and after or middle times. Um, why I call them gray zones is they're, they're times where you could go either way, essentially, when it comes to sexual intimacy or closeness. You kind of feel like you could do it. You you couldn't, but you don't know. And you're also kind of feeling out your partner. So another way of thinking of it is like putting out the feelers with each other. And literally me and my partner did this yesterday where um, he was saying, you know, I know we haven't really been intimate in a while and I, I don't want you to feel like I'm not interested. I just think I've been feeling kind of under the weather and you've been, you know, we've been stressed. So um, you know, like, but what I kind of call that is a, co- it's a conversation before you even get to intimacy. It's putting out a feeler to see, like you're testing the waters, some, so to speak. Like, how do you do this? Are, are we close or farther away? Are there ways we need to make each other a priority? Are there ways that we need to maybe set aside time so that we can even get there? Um, and so what I, what I've been, what we've been talking about with each other and, and I've been trying to share with my clients is that those are some of the best conversations you can have is putting out those feelers to see, is this even a possibility 
Or what do we need to do to even get to that possibility with each other so that we could potentially be intimate? But it's not the initiation conversation. These are like precursor conversations or like looking at like the overall part of the relationship and realizing, oh, wow, it's been a few days since we've had sex. Let's try to put some energy into this. Are you seeing that at all on your side of things? Um, I would say that it's something that I agree with wholeheartedly. Um, it's not something that I'm seeing with my clients per se. Um, currently again, moving, uh, ABA over to telehealth is new. Um, and so, uh, I've actually had about, uh, half of my clients have, have declined the move over to telehealth. Um, the ones who are still staying on with telehealth, um, of my clients, uh, every single one that is doing telehealth right now is actually single. Um, so I'm not really seeing that with my clients just because of my particular practice and the way that it's kind of playing out Mm -hmm. in this, but 100% agree with you. And I believe that if my population was, uh, a little different in terms of their own social dynamics and lives, uh, or sorry, lives, uh, <laughs> that, uh, that this would be certainly along, uh, the lines of what you're saying, 100%. Well, and so that's probably, inter- it's interesting because that's probably why when you're talking, you're thinking a lot about solo sex and how people can take care of themselves a little more. But of course I've always been working with couples. So I'm thinking of how do we get intimate? <laughs> well, I'll be honest. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm partnered. So, uh, so on a, on a personal level, <laughs> I can totally get with you. Uh, and, and obviously I do couples work. I just don't currently have any couples that are doing telehealth, although, uh, I, I am offering. <laughs> uh, so, uh, one thing that, that I want to throw out there is that even outside of sexuality, um, mindfulness is just such a powerful, uh, skill. Um, and mindfulness for couples, um, it's a powerful thing to have. And there are a few different schools of mindfulness and I'm, I'm a huge, huge advocate of acceptance and commitment therapy. It's pronounced ACT. Uh, but the idea of mindfulness within ACT is um, that you are aware of your thoughts and your feelings uh, as they're happening. Uh, you're not fighting them, but you're also recognizing that they're in you. Mm-hmm. And so they can't control you unless you feed them, um, unless you allow them to, uh, to grow. And it's sort of that mosquito bite metaphor. Uh, if you get bit by a mosquito, you're going to want to scratch it. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> and the thing is, if you scratch the mosquito bite, then you're giving in, you're letting it control you. And so when you scratch the mosquito bite, what happens? It gets worse. And then you have to scratch it more uh, and more until eventually you have this giant welt. Um, and then by that point, you've learned your lesson, hopefully. <laughs> but but if you try and fight it, uh, you say, I'm not going to scratch the mosquito bite. I can't scratch the mosquito bite. Well, then you're technically, you're still feeding it. You're thinking about the mosquito bite. So what's going to happen? You're going to continue to itch. You're going to continue to focus. But uh, let's say you get bit by the mosquito bite and then your favorite show comes on and you're watching, you're watching your favorite show and... I don't know if you've watched this this Tiger King thing on Netflix right now, but that's a great distractor. There's so much craziness <laughs> going on on that thing. And, and so much of it involves sexual dynamics. Um, oh, I'll check very, it out. Very... I'm more of a comedian watcher. <laughs> oh, it's got its moments that'll make you laugh, let me tell you. Um, but it's probably the wildest documentary I've ever seen in my life. Uh, but let's say you you pop on this this show that is is interesting. And so you're focused and it's not that you're fighting the mosquito bite. You're not saying I can't scratch the mosquito bite. You're just focused elsewhere. And what happens an hour goes by and you didn't scratch the bite. And because you didn't scratch the bite, it's still there. Uh, the show goes off and, and you notice that the bite is there. Um, but it doesn't itch as much as it did. Uh, because you haven't been scratching it and you haven't been focusing on it, fighting it. Mm -hmm. And eventually the mosquito bite goes away. 
does that mean that you'll never get bit by a mosquito again? No. No, they, be, they bite me all the time. They love my blood. <laughs> right? So, so the idea of thoughts and feelings is that thoughts and feelings are going to flow in um, mm. act uh, uh, the um, – the idea is that thoughts and feelings are like the weather. They're constantly changing mm -hmm. and we don't have control of them. Um, but we're more like the sky. And uh, no matter how bad the weather gets, once it clears, the sky is always blue. And so bad weather it can it can seem you know gray and impossible. Um, it can seem really intense, but it does always pass. Now the thing is, once it passes, you're not going to have blue sky forever. That weather's going to come back, and there might be a variety of other weather patterns in between. And feelings are a lot like that. Mm -hmm. And so I love that that metaphor because if you see yourself as the sky, then you recognize that whatever you're going through. Um, it's a normal part of, of being human is to have this internal landscape that's having this internal uh, uh, flow of weather, uh, these thoughts and feelings that are just kind of moving. Um, and, and instead of trying to control them, you're seeing yourself as, as the observer of these things, as the, the person who uh, can make choices despite uh, what these thoughts or feelings are. And I think that that's really powerful here because if you can choose to address uh, feelings that need to be addressed mm -hmm. and, and work through them and then let them go instead of perseverating and, and holding on to them. Uh, and if a thought or a feeling comes back and it's something you've already addressed and you've already committed to letting go, then going, hey... I don't need to hold on to you. I already dealt with you. What am I going to focus on? I'd like on? to give an example of that, Nicholas, if you don't mind me jumping in. For sure. Because, um, you know, I'm a therapist and I do, I really do value these mindfulness skills. And I, I really, I had a, I recently had a conflict with my partner where I felt like that was what I kind of needed to use to get through it. Now, I personally have triggers around finance for different reasons. Um, and I remember we were having a financial discussion as you're describing that, I was thinking about where I was mentally during that that conflict. And we weren't like screaming at each other anyways. We were talking. We were being respectful. But I could just feel and sense my internal triggers around finance and not feeling in control at times. And one thing I want people to listen and why I'm telling this story is I, I want you to hear like what it's like going through it, right? But like I was very aware that I was feeling feelings and I felt unsafe with those feelings. I didn't like the way they were coming up. I didn't like how I didn't like how it felt to be kind of like, I don't know if it would be like grinding in my belly, you know, is the way to describe it. But to your point, I was using mindfulness during that time. And I, I it was funny. So I, what it looks like for me is you're you're in the conversation, but you're you're almost like hovering above, kind of like the sky that you described where you look down and you're like, oh, wow, I'm feeling a lot around this. And when I'm feeling these feelings, I'm not being my best self as a partner at this time. I'm not navigating in the best way. So how can I make my partner aware of those feelings? And so I found myself doing exactly that, which is um, saying to him, hey, babe, I just want you to know that I can tell that I'm feeling a lot while we're talking through this. And I want you aware because I don't want to take those feelings out on you. But I, I'm I'm making you aware that I'm feeling these things and that I'm, I'm also aware that going forward as we start talking through these things, that I'm probably going to bring these feelings every time. And I'm going to do my best to manage and listen to them, but to not let them like turn me into lashing out at him, for example, or screaming at him or, oh, you're, you know, like not actually hearing the conversation. And it was actually really healing for me in that moment to be able to say that, to be able to share that, like, you know, what, this is rough. And and he was able to, because he also has similar triggers. We both bring a history around finance, which is funny because I love financial conversations, but like it's different when you do it for your clients versus when you're doing it for yourself. And he was able to even share with me too. He's like, yeah, I, I have a lot of history with this that I struggle with. And I'm, I'm really glad that we're at least able to share. Like you, we acknowledged it. So it doesn't mean that like we are just pretending it doesn't exist. Just move on. It's going to be fine. You know, like, no, you, you have to be aware of it. You have to kind of hold a space for it. 
But then exactly. you still have to go through that conversation and try to hear each other, express yourself. And then like there are times when we have to take breaks and be like, you know what? I don't think that I'm able to keep talking through this and keep a clear mind so that I'm listening to you. But that's really what that mindfulness moment looked like for me. And it didn't, um, it didn't destroy us or anything, but it felt really good to be able to have that conversation and share that I was being triggered and for it to not be this big fight either. Like we talked to each other, we held each other afterwards and just reminded each other, Hey, we're going to figure this out. We're going to keep working on this. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I think that, uh, being mindful and, and as you said, you know, um, uh, kind of rising above and, and observing your own behavior Mm -hmm. and observing your own thoughts and feelings and, and recognizing when your behavior might be guided by your thoughts and feelings and not your values, uh, you know, and recognizing then like, Hey, this is not my best self. This is not who I want to be in this moment. And that's a powerful skill to have. And to be able in that moment to, to kind of separate, distance yourself and, and see that and then voice it. Yeah. Um, and when you voice that to your partner, uh, you know, you're, you're really combining two different schools because now you've gone from mindfulness, uh, you, you're also looking almost at this, the Gottman method and, and, you are addressing the things that can prevent the four horsemen of the apocalypse, right? Absolutely. Uh, for, a, for a relationship because you're not stonewalling. You are not caught in a cycle of bringing about past criticisms. Yep. Um, you know, if you recognize that the feeling that you're having about this particular issue is being impacted by feelings that you had last week about a similar issue that you've already addressed, then you're able to say, Hey, you know, I'm feeling a lot and I think I'm carrying some from last week Mm -hmm. and that's not really who I want to be right now. So like, can you give me a moment? Cause I just want to like, I want to make peace with myself and I want to come into this with respect for you. I want to be in the present, not in the past. Well, and you know, so just to restate those four horsemen of the apocalypse are criticism, defensiveness, stonewalling, and contempt. And one of the things I've been working on with all my clients and myself, cause I'm not, you know, I want everybody to know I am not perfect. (laughs) I love when clients think, well, you've got to know all this. And it's like, no, it's completely different when you're living your own life versus when you're telling people what to do. That's why I do it. (laughs) But to be fair, I've been working really hard with my couples about when are you in your defensive stances? Because you, you may not even be criticized in that moment, but when people are coming to the table, kind of closing off, a lot of times that's linked to your triggers. And when I go back to my own financial talks that I'm working through, I come to the table with a defensive like and what defensiveness looks like to me if I were to just like visualize it or break it down it 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 can be as small as I dismiss things that you say nope I'm not taking that in nope you can't have an opinion that's different from mine nope 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 like it can be as, as subtle as that when people are shifting into their defensive mindset but like going back to being your best self you're not your best self unless you are able to one communicate and advocate for yourself which I know you're all about empowerment, Nicholas. <laughs> oh, yeah. But then also able to take in new information. Like it's not just about, I can tell you my opinion, but your opinion can't count. No, it's the ability to hold space for both. It's to be able to communicate, but to also really hear, even if your partner's different, even if they have other things they're struggling with and still somehow be that sky you described and recognize, oh, I'm feeling things about this. And that sucks. <laughs> right? <laughs> It's a lot of work. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's very legitimate. Uh, I think uh, one thing that uh, that I'm trying to really emphasize in terms of, uh, you know, my friends who are going through this, I have a lot of friends who are coupled and are kind of coming to me and asking me um, for advice. And obviously, you know, I'm not their therapist. <laughs> what? You're not? Um, but... <laughs> But I, I can give them some general advice. And one of the things that, uh, that I think is, is a really good activity right now, and I actually I, I have it written up. Um, if anybody wants to email me, I have a free doc that I've been sending out to couples. Uh, my email is, is Nicholas, N-I-C-H-O-L-A-S dot Mayo, M-A-I-O 
at empoweredcenter.com. I've been giving out this resource guide that is um, a values and behaviors uh, activity for couples. I love it. So that you can understand your partner and where they're coming from because all behavior serves a function. Absolutely. And there you're even when it seems like your partner is doing something to drive you crazy, I promise you that unless you are already on the path of the four horsemen, that is not your partner's goal. <laughs> you know, so if your partner is is seemingly driving you crazy, um, or or you're not having the level of intimacy that you're expecting, or uh, or you're just kind of flabbergasted by the way that your partner is is handling Corona. Um, Maybe sitting down and, and trying to understand the function of their behavior is going to be so valuable. Um, as a behavior analyst, you know that that's at the heart of our our practice is that you have to find the function of the behavior before you can address it. And so, uh, a very uh, uh, kind of classic way of going about this, mixing it with some more modern uh, uh, posthumanistic styles, would be to to do a a genogram, a Bowenian genogram, where you're looking at uh, values and behaviors that have trickled down through your generations. And that's actually included in that handout that I was talking about that I can email out to people. Uh, but I have a, a guide on like how to make your own little couples uh, genogram and then uh, how to explore the values and the behaviors that you see in there and and questions that you can ask each other and ways that you can approach these uh, divergences in values. Or maybe you have the same value, but the behaviors that you engage in to align yourself with that value look very different. And so you didn't even realize that you shared that value or that that person was trying to do right by you uh, with the behavior that you're like feeling is against you. Well, and I, um, we'll make sure that your links, your email and your website link are on the podcast as well for people to be able to get access to that. But yeah, I, I definitely think that people need, one, to, to understand that most people are not intentionally trying to hurt anyone. Like when I watch couples, I mostly see people just engage in behaviors and kind of accidentally or unintentionally causing harm here and there. Like I liken it to stepping on each other's toes, you know, like you don't mean to, you just kind of, you get too close and then it's like, oh, that's a, that's a trigger point. But really a lot of people just have their own agendas or, or things that are going on in their own head for why they do what they do. And a lot of times it has nothing to do with you. <laughs> it has to do with how they were raised, what their values are, you know, like you're saying. <laughs> Absolutely. And when we understand uh, our own values, and that's that's part of the, the exercise that I'm, I've, I've really been recommending is that uh, each partner separately come up with, you know, five to 10 values. Um, and then maybe at least one behavior that you know you engage in that correlates with that value. And then bringing that together as a couple and looking over those together. And talking about it and expressing this is where, you know, this is why I value this. Uh, this, you know, my, my grandpa had a great relationship with uh, with my other grandpa. I'm going to be diverse here. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and they, you know, they, uh, they did a very, very good job of maintaining their relationship for many years. And I saw this and this and this behavior that was correlated to this value of, um, uh, of connectedness that I saw in their relationship. And the other partner's like, oh, I had no idea that this behavior that you've been engaging in uh, is because uh, they're talking way more technical than humans actually. <laughs> uh, this shit that you do is, uh, is, is important to you. I had no idea that this, this shit that you do is so important. So, um, so in, in regard to that, uh, I think that, that that's something that can be really powerful. And then once you've had that discussion, something that, uh, that I do in my own practice whenever I'm working with couples, whether it's in behavior analysis or in sex therapy, when I'm working with couples, I want couples to come up with a list of 10 values that represent their relationship. And then I want them to define those values 
what does that value mean? When you say honesty, what does honesty mean? Mm-hmm. Um, when you say uh, uh, connectedness, well, what does connectedness mean? Um, so defining the values and then determining some behaviors as a couple that align with the values that you want in your relationship. And then from there, you know, behavior change doesn't just happen because you recognize it needs to. Behavior change has to be shaped. And so if you want as a couple for your behaviors to be more aligned, if you want uh, as a couple to understand each other better and to see more of, of each other being their best selves and of the couple being its best entity, then if you can reinforce each other with those behaviors. So you see your partner doing something that's aligned with the values that they said they want for themselves. Reinforce that. Hey, you know, that's really awesome that you just, you know, kicked so much ass on that video game you've been playing today. <laughs> like I know, I know how much that means to you. And I, I got to say, like, I was pretty impressed by it. Um, whereas, you know, maybe internally you're like, I don't give a shit about video games, <laughs> but you know about your partner's uh, uh, reasoning now. Well, but that's very, that's very different than like some people, the way they're trying to reinforce is just by like calling someone out or yelling at them if they don't do it. And so I just want to like point out, it sounds really nice. Like not mean, not like saying, oh, I thought you were going to do this and why aren't you doing it? It's, you know, just, it's kind sounding. It's like, good for you. I'm really proud that you followed through with whatever it is you're trying to accomplish. Like I had this uh, couple recently and they're trying to follow through with just having a meeting on Sundays, you know, where they're talking about what they need to get done for the next week and they're trying to follow through. So if you're doing what you're describing, it looks like, hey, thanks for sitting down to this meeting. And actually we followed through with sitting down. I know it's hard for us because we're busy on Sundays, but like it meant a lot to me that you sat here, right? Absolutely. Well, and, and one thing that I also emphasize is going back to love languages. So if you want to reinforce your partner uh, and you can go find love languages on Google and, and there's online quiz, you can find out your love language in like five minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you know your love language and your partner knows their love language and you know each other's love languages, reinforcing by using your partner's love language is going to be powerful. And if you recognize that your partner is using your love language, reinforcing that with a thank you (laughs) is really powerful because then you get into a cycle where you are reinforcing each other, where you are doing the things that, that bring each other and the relationship happiness. You are doing the things that again, hopefully are aligned with your values and not just your best selves, but your best entity as a relationship, the best dynamic that you can create. And, and getting in that flow of recognizing the positives and encouraging the positives so that they increase. Um, in behavior analytic practice, we recognize that there is value in punishment, but we also recognize that there's equal value in reinforcement. And if you can go into reinforcement and use that to shape the behavior, why use punishment at all? Exactly. So Nicholas, I've loved having you on. We're we're at about an hour, which is good, but I've got work to do. <laughs> In addition to this. <laughs> That's true. I, I've got to go see the latest Pornhub data. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, there's really, really neat things coming out of Pornhub right now. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm just so amazed. Um, and so, yeah, I've got some stuff to take care of myself. No, I, 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 I'm glad you brought that up, but I'm just going to start structuring the show towards an end. But yeah, there. I've honestly, not just Pornhub, but I'm really proud of the companies out there that are trying to change things around to help out and, uh, you know, adjusting essentially their companies. But basically what I'm, what I'm wanting to finish up with for everyone is that, you know, we're all in this together. Uh, do your best, that, do the best that you can. Um, I do want people to know who are listening in that I'm going to start putting out a lot more podcast episodes that are relevant to the COVID situation because we're all kind of looking for resources Um, And actually, I'm looking for interviews of people who are frontliners, people who can talk to the community about what they need, whether it's nurses or doctors or police officers. Um, So if you know of anyone, please uh, email me at Angela Skirtu, A-N-G-E-L-A-S-K-U-R-T-U at gmail.com. Or of course, you can check out my website at www.therapistinstlouis.com. 
Nicholas, are there any final messages you want to give to our audience members uh, about this time, about life in general? (laughs) Um, Yes. Uh, Just one thing that I would like to throw out there is that uh, no matter what you're going through right now, you're normal. Mm -hmm. Um, Nobody is happy all the time. And uh, everyone is going to have a flow of emotions that goes through them. Uh, Partners are going to have variances in their emotions. Mm -hmm. But having those times where you recognize that the emotions that you're feeling, it's okay to feel them. But if they're not helping you in this moment, you can focus elsewhere. And that's an important thing to recognize. Thank you, Nicholas. And how do people find you again? I can be found at www.empoweredcenter.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash empoweredcenterSTL. And on Twitter, my handle is at A-E-T-H-E-R-I-A-N, capital N, that's at Itherian N. I'm the sex analyst on Twitter. Thank you again for joining me. And this is Angela Skirtu with the About Sex Podcast. You can find me at www.aboutsexpodcast.com or my website, www.therapistinstlouis.com. You can also look up my YouTube, connect with me on Facebook. Um, please join all of us so we can connect. Um, thank you all for joining us and stay kinky, St. Louis.